folks and welcome back. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. A couple of weeks ago, I celebrated my 58th birthday. I certainly don't feel that age, but I'm passionate about finding the best ways I can to refresh the mind, refuel the body and rebuild strength so that I can keep doing what I love into my 60s and 70s. Hopefully, you have similar goals to me and in which case, I really hope you'll continue to join me each week as I bring you amazing guests from around the world, all with the goal of helping you to improve your sporting performance, regardless of whether you're a triathlete, ocean swimmer, ultra runner, or gravel racer. If you'd like specific guidance and structure, then please think about joining my SWAT Inner Circle, where we have training plans for all types of endurance events, including those of a nature mentioned above. And we also have monthly live workshops where we deep dive on particular subjects relevant to human performance. The next one will be uh, day-to-day nutrition um, and some of the simple ways you can use to make it more effective for you. So investment for that is £50 a month, but for the next few weeks, right up until the 31st of March, you can join us for £30 a month. That's a 40% discount. And what's more, that fee will last for the lifetime of your membership. On with this week's topic then, sleep trackers, which are gaining in popularity from those that are dedicated to the tasks like the Whoop or the Aura Ring to smartwatches, which have added more sleep tracking functions in recent months. Personally, I've been using a Whoop for almost five years now, and it's been highly influential in helping me to be more mindful of sleep and sort of forcing me into making it a real priority in my day. On this week's High Performance Human Podcast, I've invited three clients who are all WHOOP users to find out if their experiences are similar to mine. Lindsay Beale, Richard Foley and Gerard Gallagher are all members of my coaching program and their reflections were both insightful and inspiring. So, if you've wondered whether an investment in such a product as the WHOOP matches the hype, hopefully you'll have a better idea when you finish listening to this week's podcast. Firstly... We're going to hear from Lindsay and Richard. Welcome to the show, Lindsay Beale and Richard Folly. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Uh, Simon. Well, I've got you folks together because we're going to talk about sleep trackers. And in particular, we're going to be talking about one which I've been using now for nearly five years and which you guys um, came in a little after me, but you've been using them for quite a while. They're a gadget. And they don't replace what we intuitively feel, but I do feel like they have some merit. But what I wanted to discuss today is your experience with the Whoop. And just for listeners who are thinking, oh, here we are, he's going to have a promotion at the end and tell us he's an ambassador for Whoop. I am not a Whoop ambassador. I do have a discount code if you want to try one, but I'm not a Whoop ambassador. However, I do think that as they become more popular, it's important for you, the listener, to understand that whilst they have some benefits, there may also be some drawbacks as well. And so instead of me doing my little bit of shtick to tell you about them, I thought, well, why not invite some other people who've used them? And maybe we'll get a balanced perspective on how useful they are, what the drawbacks have been, and maybe if there's any disappointments. Okay. So, um, Lindsay, I think you were next to the party after me. So tell us a little bit about... um, how long you've been using the Whoop, why you started using one, and, and some of your initial impressions. 
Um, I've used it now for about 15, 16 months. Started off with the uh, three version, um, and now it's been upgraded to the four, which um, is actually rather nice, I think, for the female wrist because it's smaller. Um, it does look neater. It feels nicer on my wrist. The other one just was a great big clumpy, like an old um, Timex watch. <laughs> so I do think that this one is neater to look at. Um, we were curious, my partner and I, David, we were curious really with a view to monitoring sleep um, and if we could improve it because being triathletes, we always want to have marginal gains and if better sleep is going to be good for us, then how would having this tool on my hand or my wrist rather make that better? So I suppose that's really what I wanted it for. And I think a couple of the things that it stands out with really is it just makes me accountable to something. I quite like seeing on the app that's pretty good that comes with the phone. Um, if you've got the Apple Watch, you'll be familiar with the circles that close up when they um, tell you how much you're exercising, etc. And they do a similar thing with your sleep and your recovery. Um, and you get green if you've slept well and you're recovering well. Um, and that's quite good to be able to see that. So you've got, uh, you know, something that's perhaps keeping an eye on you while you're asleep. Um, and I, I quite like having that to look at and, and just compare every day, particularly if I've had a heavy day with training or with work, or if I've sometimes done the opposite and think I'm well rested, but actually it's still showing me that um, I've not recovered as much as I thought I had. So it's been a learning curve, I think, um, over this past year or so having it on um, I haven't ever taken it off to give it a complete rest I've just stuck with it and for the most part it's very comfortable um, you can wash shower and leave it on the whole time have a bath with it equally sometimes I just take it off just to give my arm a rest but only for 20 minutes or so um, and to sleep in it I find no problem either so that's probably my first thoughts on it. Great thank you Lindsay so Richard how about you um, tell us about how you got into using the whoop well, uh, I've been using it for about eight months, um, and I got into it, Simon, because you told me to. Um, I uh, engaged with Simon about eight months ago. Um, I used to have a very, very good training routine, and I'm sure this is not an uncommon story. As of around the middle of March in 2020, it all fell apart. I caught COVID, all my races got cancelled. Uh, work slightly changed as we all tried to... Um, Sort of deal with the pandemic and the challenges it presented to us um when i was ready to get back to training i realized that my, my problem wasn't just can i train because i know how to train and i had to write a program roughly or, or go out and find one from training peaks my problem was more about how do i how do i fit this thing in that used to exist and now doesn't exist in my life anymore and in engaging with you simon your your first question was how much sleep do you get how how conscious of it are you how much of it do you consider as part of your decision-making process? And the answer to all of those questions was, I don't know, I'm not sure, uh, and I can't answer that. Um, I've never really respected, well, up until eight months ago, I didn't really respect sleep. I, I got what I could. Um, I overslept when I needed to, and I survived on what I could, and, and, uh, and then I started using the whoop, and things have changed from there on in. So that's why I started using it and why I started using it as, as, a, as a tool, as part of a part of a sort of few methods to get me back into a good training routine. You're on mute, son. <laughs> yeah, there we are. It's only taken two years. 
we we all are triathletes. We're all participating in training most days, and we probably train in and around with other people and with groups. And no doubt we've all seen people with their watches and their apps and the Strava and this and that and the other looking at the data. But but and it, and it's nice, isn't it? Like you said, Lindsay, to get those little graphs and pictures and look at them. And go, oh, look at that. Mm. But actually, it's data is only any ever, ever any good if we actually do something in response to it. Yes. So yeah. um, my first question back to you, Lindsay, is what what were the things that you were learning from the data to start with? Okay, maybe maybe think of the three the three most important things that you learned. Once you started looking at the data, I mean, it takes takes probably a month, doesn't it, for Whoop to really build up a, a yes, good insight yeah, into so and it, and it does use artificial intelligence, so it's it can change its offering based on what it's seeing. So, um, yeah, um, I think erratic going to bed at odd times, or maybe going to, um, not finishing. I, I work sometimes a lot on the, on the laptop later into the evening and I did used to do that consistently right before bedtime close to the laptop and then go to bed um didn't sleep particularly I took ages to get to sleep um and I think that's that's got better for me certainly um because my recovery or the amount of sleep that I was getting um just seemed to be poorer and poorer the later I worked into the night um as it seems obvious now when you when you sit and think about it, but really, you know, I'd put the laptop down and I'd be really tired and my eyes would, you know, I'd got to close my eyes, but sleep wouldn't come. Um, so I think that was something that I, I tried to make a big thing to do was just stop using the laptop for work at about sort of eight o'clock time. They they actually define that in the data, don't they, Whoop, as sleep latency, which is the yes. amount of time. yes. The amount yeah. of time it takes you to drop off to sleep once you've put your head on the pillow. Well, I'm I'm not entirely certain about that because I tend to drop off pretty quickly, and sometimes it said it's taken me ten minutes, and that's yeah. I know that to be untrue. So uh, yeah. I can lay there. I I can sometimes wake up, go to sleep really quickly, but then I, I and I feel as if I've been in deep sleep. But then I get up. I seem to need to either get up to go to the loo or whatever, and I think it's about four a.m. and it's like half past twelve, and I've been there for about half an hour. And yeah, it feels like I've been there for ages. One of the um, oh, one of the go. things my girl my girlfriend enjoys about the Whoop data is she's always accused me of falling asleep before my head hits the pillow. Uh, I'm looking at my data now. My sleep latency is zero. Uh, I have <laughs> no trouble <laughs> falling asleep, which I think tells me a story about how tired I am by the time yeah. I get to bed. Yes. Um, Lindsay, I was just going to sort of comment on your 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 um, the use of laptops before bed and work. It's amazing, isn't it? How we can do that and I do the same thing. Until you say it out loud in a conversation, you realise how kind of ridiculous it is. That you, you wonder why you might not sleep or the quality of your sleep might not be good if you work up until the point where you then immediately yeah. go to bed. I, like we work, our brains are engaged in work and they're running at quite a high sort of cadence, I guess, when you're doing work. And then, you you know, when you say it out loud, it's, it, it's sort of making me chuckle when you're saying it. It's like, you know what, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I think that's um, what I... What I got, I get what I got confused with before I started thinking more about it is that although I'm I'm feeling tired and I know I'm tired because my eyes, even on the laptop, they can be shutting, but my head is not switched off from it. So I I put it to one side, but then I go to bed, but I'm still going round and round the stuff that I've been seeing on the screen. Um, 
so that that was is something that I've worked really hard over to change, and I do think that's made a big difference. Mm. Richard, um, what were the what were the uh, things that you noticed from the data that, that and the most obvious things that you noticed? So the the most interesting and obvious thing to me immediately was the dissection of sleep. So the sleep latency, how long it takes you to fall asleep, what kind of sleep you get, how many times you wake up, what time you actually woke up in the morning. I think quite often I think I've woken up at a certain time and then I may have woken up a little earlier and snoozed a bit or or woken up sort of a bit later than I expected. So the, the for me, it was really interesting to see the um, the dissection of of the sleep process, which then pushed us onto conversations, Simon, about the quality of sleep at different times of the day. I listened to some... Um, podcast that you sent me from Whoop, which talk about some of these things that you can do to improve the quality of your sleep, which essentially then gives you the ability to perhaps be more efficient with your sleep or or plan your sleep around important meetings at work. And, you know, so that was that was really interesting to me. The other thing I found really interesting is the consistency of the data in the sense that it's the only time I've ever taken data all of the time. Because I'm a bit rubbish at checking my heart rate every day or taking my vitamins every day or, or remembering to do the same thing every day. So having a wearable that doesn't have a screen on it, that doesn't distract you during the day, but that just passively collects data over a long period of time is, is I, I just noticed something that it's just something I wouldn't be able or capable of doing. It's just not in my nature to be that um, granular about collecting data. I like the data, I like it to be presented to me rather than having to go and get it myself. So, yeah, the, the, the dissection of sleep and the, the consistency of the data um, was really good. And I also, from a very, very, um, very, very early stage, realised it was making me think about things more. It was making me more aware and more conscious of my sleep. Uh, and that, you know, might sound a bit like the obvious thing to say. But we'll get, probably go on later to discuss the long-term benefits. But it's just something I never thought about before. I, I think that I have a lot of conversations with people that I know now about sleep. Um, and uh, probably getting a bit boring at dinner parties, you know, talking about sleep and alcohol. But <laughs> <laughs> um, putting that to one side, uh, the number of people who say, well, I'll just go to sleep. Um, is interesting they don't they don't think about what they do beforehand i i chatted with a guy today um this isn't a dig this is an observation we were talking about his sleep he was telling me he had 10 and a half hours of sleep last night like wow that's amazing um but he said i don't normally get that and when when we talked a little bit more deeply about it he works late he sits in front of a computer on a in a call center, so that makes it really challenging. Um, he then gets home. He then puts the TV on. So now it's sort of gone past midnight and he's put the TV on, which he said was a habit. And he, you know, he's showing me sleep data from his Garmin. So I don't know how accurate that is in relation to a whoop. I I um I think probably Garmin's are set up to collect athletic data and they do sleep as a secondary, whereas whoops collect as a, you know, primary objective is to collect sleep data and it does the athletic stuff as a secondary. And we'll can talk about that in a minute. But um, some days he's only getting four hours sleep and he say, look at that, nine minutes of deep sleep, no REM. So it's no wonder to me that he slept for so long. But um, 
yeah, he, I said, well, what do you do to try and get better sleep? He said, well, I just go to sleep and eventually I feel tired. And what, what do you do in the mornings to try and um, yeah, make sure you get better sleep the next night? And he said, well, I don't really do anything. I just get up and carry on with my day. So it's, it's, and I, and I don't think that's isolated. I think a lot of people just assume that sleep happens at the end of the day. It's something that's natural and we go to sleep and that you can't do anything about it. And so they've got into this habit of, well, that's how it's always been. I've always been a bad sleeper. But actually, if you dig in a bit deeper, I think there's definitely a lot you can do. I think I think it's an inconvenience for some people. That's that's a lot of people find it inconvenient to go to sleep or to go to bed at a, a respectable time, whatever time you want to call it. But you know, like we've said before, if you're getting up for a five a.m., six a.m. swim session and you're expecting to swim really well, well, if you're going to bed at the normal half past eleven time something's got to break at some point it, and it might not happen for a few days, but eventually it, it kind of catches up with you, doesn't it? So, um, but I do, I do think lots of people, and it might be an age thing. I'm not sure whether, you know, I'm a bit older now, whether it makes any difference to me at all, whether people in your twenties and thirties perhaps think, you know, you can survive and that's perhaps all they are doing is surviving on less sleep. It doesn't make them optimal for what they want to do, does it? <laughs> Mm. You know I totally, I, so I totally agree with that, Lindsay. Again, I'm just going to echo what you say that that it might not be bad tomorrow, but it could be bad in three days' time. Is something that you end up noticing. You know, you could go to bed at twelve and get up at five and be fine, have a good swim, but the run you have three days later will be feel like a bag of sand. Mm. And then you find yourself asking why. And previously, you, I just didn't have as an expansive view before. I'd look back three days and go, I wonder how I recovered three days ago. And like you say, you know, as we get older, it changes. Yeah. I think in your 20s, you do what you want. You know, to anybody listening who's 20, do what you want. <laughs> yes, yeah. Do what you want. Do it now. Because when you get to your 40s, <laughs> it changes. Well, no, but I think I think the, change, the body does change. And it's really that what you say, just another really interesting thing you say. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be the day that you're tired from that night's sleep that affects you maybe three or four days down the line. Well, let me tell you this. It may not be three or four days. It may not even be three or four years, but if you consistently get less sleep than you need to, at some point it will have an effect. And um, I, my podcast with Dr. Mita Singh recently, who's a sleep researcher and um, she's a psychologist as well. So she understands this whole stuff about the brain and the link between the brain and sleep. We were talking about whether Margaret Thatcher's quite severe dementia um, was related to all of those years when she didn't have much sleep and I, I don't know if there's a there's a definitive answer on that but there's a strong possibility and there's a lot of research to back that up mm. but it's but it's also as well I, I you know I've written down there sleep gets in the way I think I think it's a bit like this habit that you see at work so you know I work from home um, Lindsay does but Richard you might see this in the office and, and you might do this yourself is that if we go without lunch and a break at lunchtime, we actually get more more stuff done. But mm. consistently, the findings are the exact opposite. We get less done. And mm. it's the same for sleep. If we, if we don't sleep or we cut our sleep short, thinking, right, well, I can sleep for four hours and I'll have a 20-hour day, rather than actually being productive and getting more done, maybe we need a 20-hour day to get stuff done because we work more slowly because we're not, because yeah. we're not recharging <laughs> the batteries. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed at work that sleep hygiene or sleep efficiency or whatever we want to call it, sleep consciousness or just sleep improvement um, doesn't just generate good athletic ability. It generates good mental ability. And really, 
you know, what I'm learning from working with you, Simon, is is what that consequently means is that by the end of the day, I don't feel like I need to work late, so I can go training. So the byproduct of having good mental ability is I have more time to go do my exercise. And that's something that I learned that I sort of didn't really realize before. And I, I was like, well, you know, what am I trying to achieve here? I'm trying to find the space to do 10 hours, 12 hours training a week. I don't do that. So I'm going to test, I do four or five. <laughs> and then it's getting, it's getting slightly better, but I want to do 12 or 14. How do I find that space? And actually, the cause and effect starts with sleep and it and it goes through various other processes in your life before it gets to the training. Sometimes it is, am I better in meetings? Am I more efficient? Am I am I quicker to make decisions? Are the decisions I make better? And, you know, when I have had a run of good sleep, sleep hygiene, I do make better decisions. I feel, I feel like I make better decisions and the outcomes are better. So it's kind of, for me, irrefutable that, I mean, we're talking about sleep rather than the whoop at the moment, but it's kind of irrefutable that being conscious of it is a positive a positive step if you're not conscious of your sleep and i just wanted to touch if that's all right on the margaret thatcher routine um i work in an industry where you sometimes wear your lack of sleep as a badge of honor mm-hmm. uh, and i'm probably of a generation where you wear your lack of sleep as a badge of honor i only need four hours sleep Thatcher spent her lifetime saying i only need four hours sleep um so sometimes it, it, what i found difficult well, maybe not necessarily very difficult, but one of the things I've noticed is having pride in your sleep quality rather than having pride in the fact that I only had three hours last shame, night. Shame in it. Yeah, having shame. Yeah. That's what I think as well, isn't it? It's um, People seem to be, um, you, you feel ashamed if you've said that you've had sort of seven or eight hours sleep rather than, what? Really? Yeah. How do you manage yeah. to sleep that much? You know, and you're almost laughed at. And yet that's, what the um, you know that they say the recommended amount is yeah seven, and i think seven, it's, seven to nine hours seven to nine. yeah i think it's interesting because we live in a kind of world where we cross over between corporate business world where we're employed full-time and the athletic world where we don't want to be billy athletes but we're not capable or it's too late i think in a, uh, from what i gather from reading things and listening to people in the elite athletic world sleep is considered the opposite to how it's seen in corporate world which is like no you need like someone said to me once mandy murray gets 14 hours sleep a day mm. you know with his yeah. naps and his mains and whatever and i thought that's a long time has he got his training done but there's more pride in it than in our sort of for me my primary role really is i need to go to work to earn the money to be able to you don't you don't see those hero sleep sessions on strafa do you for everybody to give you thumbs up <laughs> for you know um no. it's like you say everybody wants to talk about how many 400s they smashed out yeah, it's always about smashing it out, um, you know, feeling sick, leaving it all out there. I want somebody to say to me, I smashed out 12 hours in the bedroom last night. I went I went to bed at nine o'clock and my head hit the pillow and I didn't wake up until 9 a.m. I, I had four hours of deep sleep and two hours of REM sleep and I can conquer the world now. When was the, first, when was the last time you ever saw anybody posting like that anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because one of the things that I wanted to talk about here was the Strava comparison between your Whoop wearable and your, your Garmin wearable. If it's not on Strava, did you did you go for a run? And I find myself thinking sometimes when I've had bad like battery discipline and I let my Whoop run out of battery and I don't get any sleep data for one night, I find myself thinking if it's not on the Whoop, did I sleep? <laughs> You know, and and I like that. It makes me accountable. I I may start showing off about how much sleep I've had. You should. You can can share your whoop data, you know. Let's start a trend. 
Um, but Good you know, eight, I, eight hours sleep. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I used to write for a triathlon magazine, and nearly always um, we would get questions from people like, "What are the secrets of the pros? What what makes them different?" And one of the things you've touched on it, both of you. One of the things that makes the pros different is they they just get more sleep. They place more value in sleep. Uh, Gwen, I was listening to Gwen Jorgensen um, talking the other day, and she said they're, they're in bed for half eight. Right? Paula Radcliffe used to get 12 hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And okay. sleep in the daytime. She often has yeah. spoken about that. But I, yeah. do, I do think that it has, it's only in these last few years to me, been that it's it's in every magazine it's on in, in 220 your podcast various other podcasts around about um it is becoming much more important um that people do focus on more sleep i think mainly because we're, we're living in a life where lots of people do work around the clock shift workers people having trouble sleeping um and we, we are beginning to realize and more work's been done perhaps with the lady you had on and interviewed about the sleep which I thought was really good um and and now we are considering that that's part of our training as well that sleep eating sleeping repeating um is as important if we want to keep going into our latter years which you know I'm well on the way now and I still want to I have no reason why I need to stop but if I don't get that rest that I know my body needs then I'm no good for anybody let alone for races let, let me just let me just recount something from my latest study, which is about mental health and recovery. It talks about one of the questions I had to answer was what three ways sleep contributes to brain health, right? So did you know the lymphatic system is the drainage system that the body uses, but the brain can't use that because of the blood-brain barrier. So it, it, it uses the lymphatic system, which is un, unique to the brain. And when, when you go to sleep at night, and particularly during REM sleep, that's the time when the brain cleans itself out. So the cells shrink and the fluid goes around. It's like having a daily wash for your brain. So all of the dirt and muck and all of those, that just the, um, you know, from a day of work, it's getting a wash and it's getting cleaned out, right? So if you don't get enough sleep, that doesn't happen. So your brain gets foggy, it gets clogged up. So if you think about when your computer gets clogged up, and it needs defragging, if that's still a thing in computers. We have to run a system that clears up all the files and puts them all back together and reorders the storage so they're easy to find again. Well, that's exactly what happens to the brain every night. So if you start, if, if you're not thinking correctly um, and you're not processing stuff and you're not being very productive, maybe it's the lack of sleep and the the lack of a clean, a clean out every night that's mm. the problem. There's also a huge link between um, the gut you know, the microbiome and the brain, the gut's often called the second brain. And so having good sleep um, can have a huge impact on your brain, but also has a huge impact on your food choices and on your microbiome. And if you've got poor bacteria in your gut, that can that can release certain hormones, which are, um, are bad for your sleep. And then you talked about it, Richard, about executive function, decision-making capability. You know, the fact that you can, you can process information and you can make a decision um, while you're driving your car. Or while you're yeah. doing while you're doing something, you know, you're going down the hill on a bike and there's some sheep coming out in front of you. You definitely don't want to be thinking too long about whether to break or not. You need to be <laughs> making a clear decision very quickly. Um, and again, if you're tired, then your brain gets a bit foggy. It's it's the same as driving with a couple of beers in your in your, you know, you don't react as quickly. So 
um, it's not just about recovery for the muscles and the brain so we can perform better athletically. There's just so much more that, that most people aren't considering about the benefits of sleep. And I mean, I have, I, I think. I don't think they know. I just don't think people know and understand about it enough. Mm. Um, but I, hopefully it will. It is getting through and, in, and it's more in general magazines, not just our triathlon magazines. You know, I get it in in a, a female magazine that I buy in these days. You, you see it about more often and in the newspaper, the Daily Mail will cover it. So it is getting out there more, but I think people don't know because they don't know. It's just, there's just no reason. It's something you do at the end of the day. And if you don't do it, then you perhaps take a sleeping pill or you go to the doctors, you think mm. it might be perimenopause. So there could be a hundred and one reasons, couldn't there? So you, you go on, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, sorry, I was just I was just going to say one of the you know bringing it talking about what the whoop does and and when you talk about executive function and that how that relates to athletic function as well. The real interesting thing for me is the correlation between the data and performance. And again, it's, it's when you start putting the data in your your own performance. And if you're, I quite like to be. I try my hardest, I don't know how well I do it, to analyse my performance on a regular basis at work so that I can try to improve or understand, you know, largely because I want my life to be easier. So the the, the higher my performance is, the earlier I can leave work, <laughs> if I like. Um, what I noticed from gathering the data is that you could correlate sometimes when you felt really, really functional at work and, and when you didn't. And what I've noticed is, for me, the outcome doesn't change. And actually, the outcome with the training doesn't change as well if you're tired. You still get the training done. Um, you might struggle through. Your heart rate might be a bit higher, but you still get it done. But what happens is it's just harder and yeah, executive function takes longer. So quite often, I get to the same decisions or outcomes. But when I'm well-slept and well-rested and well-recovered, I make those decisions quickly and confidently and I move on. Um, and what I've noticed necessarily is it's not, it's not for me necessarily the the quality of decision making it's more this this not the sort of the quantity of decision making it's more the quality and the speed and same with training you get better training sessions even though you still get the training done when you're not recovered well for me it's just you just feel more you know feel more feel more engaged in it and you and you look well forward recovered. to it it's that you look forward, forward to it yeah don't you? not the dread yeah. oh gosh it's going to be this today and i just don't know if i can do it and i know i need yeah. to do it but and you, you can talk yourself and you procrastinate don't you i think more when you're tired yeah, exactly. And I think that's it. Then you become, you waste time. So you do, yes. you procrastinate yeah. about training, you procrastinate at work and you, you sort of, it's a self-perpetuating kind of decline because you become mm. more, you're slower at making decisions, then you need more time awake and then, you know, you argue that you can stay up later to get it all done. <laughs> so would it be fair to say, um, if I'm interpreting what you're both saying right, that um, wearing the whoop has helped you to become more mindful about sleep, but also more mindful of the time surrounding sleep to try and help you get a better night's sleep. Because, of course, once your head hits the pillow and you close your eyes and you're drifting off, you can't really do much about what's happening then. Um, but you can. But, but we know from talking to the experts that you can you can do something about what you do in the hours leading up to sleep, and you can do something about what you do in the first couple of hours after sleep. So yeah. that, back to my question is: Has it made you more mindful? Um, yes, absolutely. The, um, there, there's no doubt if I go to bed, even though I'm tired, but with a busy head and I haven't either spoken about what's making me upset or sad or angry, whatever it is, what's, what's too much for me to sleep with, that will 
keep me awake. I can lay there and it will be churning over in my head again and again. But if if I can get that sorted by bedtime, and we've started doing this more, David and I now, particularly for me, uh, to unload what might be going on in my busy head. Um, So I've put the computer down, it's sort of eight, half past, and then I have a, a brain dump of what else is keeping my head spinning um, and that I found has been really really useful and I go to bed and read read a nonsense book and I can switch off and I feel rested and, and that's I think made a huge difference to me and I can't believe it's taken me bloody 60 years to, to sort of sort that out mm-hmm. really it's quite it's just I don't know I don't know whether I just thought it was something else going on it wasn't it wasn't um that I worked too much that I read too late or I had a drink of wine too late I mean we've spoken about alcohol have we um but if I had all of those things too late in the evening I just couldn't deal with going to bed at a sensible time and then rest it just the two just wouldn't come together until I sorted um you know a good couple of hours before my natural bedtime which is always about 10 o'clock um, and then I can read for 20 minutes or so and then I'm ready to sleep. Richard, what um, what surprised you about the data you were getting? Were there any things that you thought, oh, I honestly thought I got more than that or I honestly didn't think I got enough of yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think I thought about, I've been thinking about this question. There isn't a, a, a sort of global surprise across the data. There's nothing that has shocked me um i've taken hrv measurements before which is you know heart rate variability um i've taken resting heart rate um i've uh never measured my sleep but i'm sort of roughly aware of how much sleep i get um respiratory rate is something i've never measured before it's in there and it's quite interesting but strangely that's very very consistent for me very very consistent regardless of how much sleep or exercise i do but what i find what what surprised me is individual results um, and actually, today we can talk about, uh, I, I, I had six hours and 40 minutes of sleep last night, and I'm tired today. Uh, I was going to train this morning before work, but I felt physically uh, like it would be better to leave it later. So I started work earlier and pushed my training back to the end of the day. And that's 77% sleep performance. And my recovery says 93%. When you say six hours and 40, is that the time you were in bed or that's the time, whoops, saying you actually spent the sleep? That's saying... Let's have a look. <laughs> I've just checked my day. That time in bed was 7.17. 7 hours and 17 minutes, and I had 6 hours and 40 minutes of sleep. Now, what's interesting for me here is that my sleep performance at about 77% here is a key number that I find I start to edge towards over fatigue, and that's when I start missing training days. Uh, so... Uh, what's, what sometimes surprises me is I may have a 93% recovery because some of the algorithm in there is taken or the AI is taken into account, some other things. But but if I use all of the data together and add it together, they, they always correlate to how I'm feeling. Um, so what surprises me sometimes is individual results surprise me. But then what I like about the group is there is more than one metric in there. And if you actually then look at the other metrics you say well is my hrv dropped my resting heart rate gone up you know has my sleep efficiency gone down you know if you can look at all of those things and go hang on a minute this adds up and so now i look at it and today i feel a bit worn out today i had a busy busy day at work i've had a few heavy training sessions we did a heavy swim last night really fast swim last night 
Um, so lots and lots of short, very fast intervals. Uh, and a couple in the group all texted this morning and woke up saying we're a bit shattered this morning. That was a hard session. Um, so, yeah, not. I, I don't find that there is a global surprise for me. I was always fairly into the data from different sources. But there, there are these individual results that come up every now and again and I look at it and I think, well, that's interesting. And then that helps to explain something. So, yeah, like I'd say, nothing nothing globally surprising across the eight months I've been using it. But every now and again, once a week or something, I'll see something and it'll draw my attention to it. And I'll look at that and go, why has that happened? What did I do the night before? What did I have coming up the next day? You know, and, and how much, you know, what my training session's been like to, to add to that fatigue. Have either of you ever got to a point where you don't trust the data when like so there'll be i'll give you a couple of examples there'll be a there'll be a i pretty much go to bed getting to around bed around quarter to 10 10 o'clock i read now for 15 or 20 minutes so i'm putting the turning the light out around between 10 and 10 15 and I, my alarm goes off at 6 30 so I'm, I'm often in bed for eight and a half eight and a quarter to eight and a half hours Last night, I could have sworn that I. it tells me that I had quite a lot, when I look at the disturbances here, they had quite a lot of disturbances in the early part of the evening. That's not my recollection of it. I, I don't recall anything until I got up in the middle of the night to go for a wee, right? But it says I, I was disturbed. There'll be other nights when I think I've, I can remember rolling around a lot, turning over, you know, changing positions on the pillow, and it'll say you've had six disturbances. Mm. Um There'll be nights when I could, I, I would get up, and if you, if I hadn't got the data, I'd say to you that was, I was a poor night's sleep. I felt like I was, I was aware of what was going on. I didn't really sleep deeply, and it'll say I got six and six hours forty-five. And there'd be another night where I could have sworn I had a lot of deep sleep and I had hardly moved at all, and it'll say my sleep was quite poor. Um, yeah. For everybody and, listening, and, what would you consider a high number of sleep disturbances? I quite like to compare open, honest data. I'm looking at my sleep disturbances and wondering if mine are high or low. <laughs> Don't make well, no judging here. Well, so <laughs> 16 for last night. That's, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the night before, 17. The night before that, 10. The night before that, 13. The night before that... 13. So it's interesting, that. isn't it? I like, 14. I, 13, somewhere around a dozen, between, around, say, an average of 15 disturbances. Yeah. On Monday, I had six. Yeah. Last night, I had 12. Uh, yeah, 12. I just, I think that it's nice to talk about what other people's, you know, routines are like, because you probably feel a bit more refreshed than me today, Simon, but you had more disturbances. So sometimes it's not just about the single metric for me. Well, you see, my my, my HRV um, last night was, uh, or this morning was. Um, was oh, we're into was, HRV now. <laughs> no, it was, well, it was it was twenty five, um, but yesterday it was thirty four, and I had seventy one percent recovery on on Sunday. I had thirty one fifty two percent recovery then. 82% recovery on Sunday. But actually, Sunday, I felt rubbish when I was riding. So I had the highest recovery I've had for a bit, and I felt rubbish when I was riding. Yeah. So, you know, that's, again, the the your perception without the data versus the data can often be di- interesting. And, and I've spoken to HRV experts, people like Dr. Dan Plews, who's done a lot of research on it, and asked him what – and Dr. Paul, Professor Paul Larson asked them what, what is the most important – um, metric for them and they say it's it's actually how you feel as an athlete what mm. your perception is rather than the actual data and it's one point 
the data's one point. You you made a good point there, Richard, that you know, you you think about it in terms of well, how much sleep I had versus how stressed I am versus how do I feel? And you know, you put all that into the into the mix, not just about whether you get green on your um mm. on your whoop data. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of um it's a it's a toolkit. No, there, I don't think there's a golden no. There isn't a golden bullet that just solves all of these problems. Mm. Your hydration, your nutrition, your sleep. It's, but it's a toolkit, and it, it definitely helps. You know, one of the one of the key things for us, I think, for me, to talk about in this conversation is it. It just helps. It's a screwdriver in my toolkit, or it's the hammer or the saw. Or it, you know, it, it, as an analogy, so you know, I love an analogy. It helps me make better decisions. Sometimes it's whoop, yeah. sometimes it's something else, sometimes it's something else. But the whoop data, certainly, I can always go to it and, and look for it to help me make a better decision. Yes. What, what about you, Lindsay? Have you, I mean, my initial question was how much do you trust the data? Um, yes, like yourselves, I think um, I like looking at the sleep, the the um, REM, deep sleep, light sleep, awake, etc. And I'm always... Well, I'm always mortified by how much I seem to be fiddling around and awake. You know, sometimes they can be 17 to 20. A red letter day would be under 12 for me. Um, I just seem to have loads of fidgeting time, apparently. Um, deep sleep I struggle with. Again, if I get over, if I did an hour, hour and a half of deep sleep, I'd be thrilled with that. Um, mostly it seems to be between 45 and an hour and 15 um and then REM sleep sometimes can be hit and miss as well so I do look at those figures and I I do when the when the deep sleep is really low it would make me feel a bit worried as in well why why aren't I sleeping I you know I feel tired I think I'm, I'm doing all the right things I've turned everything off and I'm still I'm not deep sleeping so I can get myself into this state when I see the figures and I don't believe I'm um I'm behaving as well as my at, in, at rest at sleep as I seem to be behaving and doing the right things when I go to bed. Um, however, I've got you know a very active job. I, I rarely miss training, you know, unless I'm injured. Um, I rarely miss training at all, and I, I've been like that for many many years. So um, I, I think I can listen to my body quite well and know what it can do, um, but having those little circles of 65% recovery today, um, that gives me, a, sometimes it feels like a pat on the back that you've done really well, that you're getting things, you've got the balance right of sleep, rest, not having too much alcohol, etc. And then if I get a really low uh, one or my HLV is, is sunk, that's when I start thinking, then you've just not got to have that glass of wine tonight, Lindsay. You know, you clearly you can't you can't stomach it. So I do have a word of myself sometimes with with things, um, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> so that thing about alcohol was a big learning for me, both talking to mm-hmm. the sleep the sleep experts and also the whoop data. Because generally, if I if I was to have a glass of wine um, with my dinner at six thirty seven o'clock and then leave it there, uh, it doesn't seem to affect me. If I have a couple of glasses of wine. Um, a bit later on and finish off my final glass before I get into bed, it does seem to affect me. Mm. And that's in line with what the experts say. But then there'll be other times when I've had a bottle of wine. I've been, I've been skiing. We've sat at dinner. 
I've had a bottle of wine, I've gone to bed and I've had a fantastic night's sleep. My HRV is really high and I've got green and I've got loads of deep sleep. And I'm like, well, what's happening now? Holiday, then? But maybe it's, it? maybe, yes, maybe, maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe it's the stress now. Environment. But talking of the stress, um, there's a, there's a phenomenon called orthosomnia, which is mm. anxiety about sleep. Have, have you experienced that? either of you by looking at the data here because I know I certainly have and I've, I've started thinking well I've had a bad night's sleep am I going to get a bad night's sleep again tonight and then of course I do because I'm worrying about it yeah I, I think I, I've been guilty of that in the past um thinking that I'm not getting even five hours sleep um and I've got to be active the next day with my work not even with training but with work um and that it so it does worry me it does play on my mind but um I, I would say still I'm better with wearing the whoop with the um just having it there is that um safety blanket it feels like sometimes um and that and I think I am getting better you know I am seeing the 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 recovery and the sleep improve and and I think for in my age group where I am with well, I'm past menopause but I do think that's had an effect on me um, for quite a few years and I wish I'd have known about it through my perimenopause years it would have been really interesting to see it then I think. Richard what about you orthosomnia um, or not? No no very rarely uh, I I used to be an insomniac and probably have orthosomnia uh, in my 20s but I'm a log now I mean, I my latency tells you everything. I minute my head hits the pillow, I go to sleep. And I was just looking at my sort of my, my disturbances on Monday last week. I had three. So I'm a, once I've got myself to bed, and once I've got my head on the pillow and the light is out, I'm a good sleeper. Um, I am an anxious person. I am quite highly strung. I think I, and there's a lot going on, and I have a busy job. Um, but I just have never. Well, more recently, is not not had too much trouble falling asleep. I just have trouble getting there, getting my head on the pillow. Mm. I've always got something else to do. Mm. There's always another email to check, or, or, or also really, sometimes I we talk about the opposite of what you do, Lindsay. Sometimes, which is working right up to bedtime. If I am working late, I will not go straight to bed. So I'd rather stay up for an hour not working and go to bed straight away after working. So if I finish work at 11.30, I will say, well, I'm going to go to bed at 12.30, 1 o'clock today because See, I want an hour not working before I go to sleep. That's more for my sanity than anything else. I, I do think having the data, if you're a reflective sort of person, uh, and as we said at the beginning, having the data and not acting upon it is just this, this point is having the data. Um, but being able to act upon it and maybe reflect and think, well, why is this happening? What can I do? Back to my conversation with the gentleman who works late is what can he do to get better sleep well he, he can't change his job at the moment so in that that's something that's immovable but what he could do is instead of turning the telly on he could come home um have himself a, a cup of tea that's more 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 relaxing so definitely not a, a yorkshire tea with some caffeine and tannin in it but maybe a um a peppermint tea and he could read a he, as you said um lindsay he could read a book just a rubbish fictional book, you know, that's not going to get yeah. his heart rate up. That's just going to send him to sleep and that, that might help. Um, but you've, but you've got to be willing to do something about it. So it, it, what it, what it does seem is that you um, two have both looked at the data and learned something from it. So, and that's one of my biggest arguments in favor of the whoop is the behavioral change that it leads to. Mm. 
Yeah. And for me, that's the most important thing is changing behaviors. However, however you arrive at that point where you're going to change them. Yeah. I'm going to, if it's all right, give you a really good example of that. Because today, um, while we've been talking, I've been looking, flicking through my, my data. And do you trust the data is a question we just asked. Well, actually today it says 93% recovery and I don't feel like that. So I, don't, I didn't immediately trust that. But the nice thing about Whoop is I've now looked at the other metrics. My HRV is up by 24%. My heart rate, my resting heart rate is down by five beats. So I know that I've had a good run of training because my body's reacting to that. So I'm looking at that and thinking, well, physiologically, my body's reacting well. But my sleep performance is below the sort of magic number, which I know drives me into sleep deficit, 20, 78%, 79%, anything below that. And I know I feel tired. So I look at the 93 and I think, okay, cool. I don't really super trust that because that big green ring that's almost full, doesn't. it's not how I feel. I look at everything else. And then I try to add up what's happened over the last few days. I've had some good training sessions. They've been quite hard. Um, and then what I'm going to do now is I'm going to finish this conversation, finish up work, get on the bike, do my bike, and I'm going to have an early clean dinner and go to bed early. And anything that I don't finish today, I'll do early tomorrow morning because I'm making the decision now that I know how to, I know how to address this fatigue. And that it, what you're saying now, this is what I just never used to do. I have this ability now to say, well, my evening is going to, my the way that my evening pans out now, and how much work I'm going to do today now is going to be. It's going to be assisted by decisions made using the web data. Previously, I would sit at 8 o'clock if I was busy. But now I know that there's no point doing that. I'll work badly tonight. I'm better off getting up at 7.30 tomorrow morning and doing it in the morning after a good night's sleep because that 90 minutes tomorrow morning is probably worth three hours tonight. Yeah. So it really does It really does change the way you make decisions. I'm looking at my data now um, on, on the phone app. And it tells me that I, it constantly tells me I need around nine or 10 hours of sleep a night. And it's saying that my sleep performance in terms of how much sleep I'm getting versus what I need is around 60 to 65%, right? But there are days, there are days when I do feel tired, but I, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's rarely a day when I, I go through the day when I actually think I need to have a nap. Um, I'm trying to do everything right. Yesterday, I went out riding in the afternoon. Maybe I was a little dehydrated, but I've not had any, not had any alcohol. I've not had any glasses of wine since Saturday. So, you know, it's not like alcohol. I was, I, I've, I've been, I've been continuing with all the sleep, pre-sleep routine habits that I've got. So there's something that's happening in there that's getting in my sleep. I mean, you can't. I don't know if you can see that, but that's that. What what I should get versus what I'm actually getting. Oh. So it's so it's actually not good in terms of the whoop but then i that, but this is and this is one of the reasons why i ask about the accuracy of data is sometimes the strain data that i'm getting um and the heart rates that i'm getting um don't match um my chest strap heart rate data and right. I, I know whoop say that the the sleep requirement isn't massively dependent on your strain but it still takes that into calculation so if it's over calculating how much training i'm doing surely that means it's going to over calculate how much sleep i need because tonight it's telling me i need if i'm, if I'm going to get up at 6 30 in the morning and i want to perform then i need to be in bed at 8 30 tonight i get that i get that all the time <laughs> get to bed by half past eight just you finish dinner and it's saying i've got to get to bed um, but the high heart rate things, um, they are bonkers at times, you know, for, for activities. And I've been in touch with Whoop 
on their chat line three or four times. Um, mm, me too. To say that, and every time they come back with the same thing, you haven't got the strap tight enough, and that's what their answer is to everything. And to the point where I've got to photograph my wrist in five or six different positions so that they can see it and, and you know, even pull the thing up, get your partner to pull the thing up so we can see how And I thought, well, I can't, it's like a tourniquet now. I can't have it. Yeah, yeah. I've got it tight so, enough now, but my fingers have dropped. Yeah, that's right. I can't move my hands. Um, but well, you, can use the, you, can use, you can use the bicep band, and I've tried that. I've even, I've even bought some of the new Whoop Apparel, and they've got these sports boxer have, shorts yeah. now with with a with a little slot in the in the waistband at the back that, that where you can insert the whoop um the body of the whoop and it'll pick up from the flesh just yes. around by your hip now i've i tried wearing them to sleep in and see if it gave me a different result i don't think it's any worse but i don't think it, it no. doesn't seem to give a different result um it, so. just, it was one of those things that i thought well it's another expense to buy that I can't wear all of the time, you know, the bra top type thing. It's not something I would wear all day and, and for work and things like that. I do, not cheap, I just not cheap either, is it? And not cheap. No, they're not. Um, but they're consistently, the, the, the version four is better than the version three. That is absolutely no doubt about that with the heart rate. But the higher heart rates, it's saying that I am regularly recording 150 160 70 84 93 193 and i might be doing pilates and it's giving me these bonkers readings like this so that's something that i i must admit that i'm not very happy with but i i did cover this on the podcast i did with um with whoop and i think the our general position there was if you want to measure your heart rate accurately for training, use the Garmin with a chest strap. Definitely don't mm. use definitely don't use any watch and use the um, the wrist strap mounted heart rate sensor. Use use a chest strap. And yeah. if you want to get accurate sleep data, then don't bother with your Garmin or your smartwatch. Use mm. the the Whoop. Uh, and I, you know this isn't supposed to be a promotional for Whoop. So there is also the Aura Ring, which I've heard good things about, and um, also does a, a very very similar job to the whoop um just in a different format so um so what what have you what have, i know you've got to get off in a few minutes since what have been your biggest learnings um maybe if you can have two or three things and then give us um i'm going to ask you both at the end whether you'd recommend it or not as a, as a tool for um other interested people to to get hold of so just talk about your three three uh, main learnings um, yeah, for me, uh, definitely downing tools, anything electrically gadgety, try to put that to one side, at least for me, an hour, hour and a half before bed. Um, alcohol after 8.30, um, I seem to, that definitely wakes me up and makes me, um, you know, wakeful during the night. Not uh, drinking too much, uh, as in uh, volume, you know, drinking, like having my sports bottle nearby. And I might drink three or four of these a day, depending on what I'm doing. And sometimes I'll just drink it because it's there at the night time. Um, and that, of course, is always going to make me wait to go to the loo in the night. So that's I'm trying to not over drink past again, half past eight at night. So I think those are my three sort of big things that I've uh, learned and I'm just more mindful of of everything of sleep I'd like to say sleep hygiene sleep quality um how the bedroom feels heat 
blanket uh, duvets and pillows and the like all of those sorts of things I, I have much more interest in rather than a, um, no interest at all now Richard what about your big lessons I look at my watch more uh, you know before the whoop I, I just might not even look at the time of an evening and just go to bed when I can um, so there was no decision making at all so um, yeah I'm mindful I'm mindful of my sleep patterns. I, I, that doesn't mean I go to bed at the right time every day, but it means that I know when I haven't gone to bed at the right time. Uh, and sometimes I trade off sleep for training, but it's a trade-off I'm then conscious of making. So, um, yeah, it's decision-making. Um, I like the spread of metrics in the WHOOP. I like looking at HRV and, and low heart rate and, and you know strain and recovery because... You know, what my learning there is if you actually, the more data you have, the less chance of, the less chance of anomaly you've got and the more chance you, you've got of making a better decision. And that's it. That's for me, the more, the more information you have, the less accurate each individual metric needs to be on, a, you know, it doesn't need to be 100% accurate if you've got a nice spread of data. So the nice spread of data is really good. Um, and yeah, I said earlier on in the podcast, the consistency is a good learning for me, having that data every day without having to think about it and then having it on an app and it automatically sends you nice information like go to bed and actually sorry just to say we can talk about that sometimes it does say go to bed at five past eight and you think go away we'll put not going to bed at five past eight but it makes you think about going to bed at five past eight mm-hmm. like it sometimes comes up and says i don't know if you guys have seen but sometimes you go for a run and your garmin says you need nine days of recovery uh, yes. yeah you think shut up you think shut up garmin but i'm gonna have a rest Whoops, the same. It might say you, you haven't had enough sleep this week. You need to go to bed at five past eight. It's at six thirty. It'll say, "Get ready, start getting ready for bed." <laughs> and like you'll say, "No, I'm not going to do that." But but it, it makes you conscious at an early stage in the evening, which I then think makes you make a different decision later down the line. So sometimes it's 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 interactivity and the way that it pushes notifications to you are good. And you know, like I just said with my partner, it's better than someone else telling you to go to bed because as a fully grown adult. Being told to go to bed is quite often met with a no, because <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not children. <laughs> I, I do quite, I do quite like the health metrics that they've got now. Again, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how accurate they are, but what it's telling me is they're always pretty constant. And I've, I've heard some of the podcasts where the respiratory rate has been instrumental in um, alerting people to the fact that they might have had COVID, and that's that's sort of been um, quite an interesting development. Um, it does definitely cause me to be more reflective and mindful around sleep. And I've definitely changed a lot of behaviors around sleep. The, the alcohol thing was the big thing for me. And also, you know, sometimes understanding that when my HRV is low or my sleep's poor, it might, it might be because I was dehydrated from a long ride or something. So I haven't, I haven't eaten it, drunk enough fluid. And sometimes again, you talk about trading sleep for, for training. It's a conscious decision to train, to, to trade, um, having to get up in the middle of the night to go for a, a wee versus being dehydrated and not recovering the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody that's listened to this or follows you on Facebook comes along and said, um, I hear you using the whoop. Uh, would you think it's a good idea to get one? What would you say, Lindsay? Um, absolutely. Yes. Um, and we've introduced two friends who, um, who have had our old fours, Oh yeah, um, and they had them for, and they loved it, and they have um, invested in the three, and they absolutely. 
they're a little bit geeky, so they do like data. They do right. like, but they love, they love it. They love the app. They, um, they agree exactly the same. Is um, it's the adherence and just having somebody telling you get ready for bed or you're not sleeping as well. There's, there's just so much that can be gained from it, even if you only listen to it or look at it all for a month or so. It gives you patterns that you can improve on. So absolutely, I would. Richard. Uh, yeah, I would say apart from the what I would consider very minor anomalies that we've talked about and maybe a peak heart rate or, or a bit of recovery, there's a lot of data in there. And my simple sort of statement to anybody would be, how can having more information be bad? Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, if you're interested in your athletic performance, your executive performance, your sleep, your mood, your mental health, you're interested in improving any of those things from a physiological point of view, it's irrefutable that having more information about that is good and useful and then you can use it as you see fit so yeah i i, I would find it hard for anybody to argue that it's not a good idea yeah and it, it seems to me like sleep is the one thing that everybody agrees that we need in copious amounts to help with everything not just the way we function now but the way we might f- want to function and hope to function when we're in our 70s and 80s right um Engaged athletes love discussing the merits of a 700 pound now, 700 pound Garmin watch about, you know, and go on for hours and hours with hundreds and hundreds of threads about which, which Garmin is the best one to get. Right. And that's something that they might be using for eight or 10 hours of training a week. This is doing, this is involved in something that you're doing every night for what should be eight to nine hours. So it's a third of your life. So getting the, getting the same amount of data for something that's important for a third of your life versus you know one um one less than one tenth of your life seems like a no-brainer for me it's like investing in a good mattress mm. versus investing in a tri-bike but that's another debate <laughs> you, you i would have said the bike a year ago ah. I, I might say i might say the mattress now simon <laughs> yeah 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 good good lad good lad that's the biggest learning right well listen um lindsay i know you've got to dash off uh thank you very much for being here thank and you. your wisdom same to you richard Thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll have the other two guys on and we'll see if their thoughts uh, correlate with yours. Thank you very Brilliant. much. All right. Nice to see you both. Cheers. Take care. Bye, bye see now. You. Bye-bye. Unfortunately, Gerard was unable to join us for that group discussion. So I caught up with him 24 hours later. So let's hear what Gerard has to say on this subject. Welcome to the show, Gerard. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Simon. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm great, thanks. Now we've uh, we've had a good discussion with a couple of other Whoop users, Lindsay and Richard. So yeah. I'm interested to uh, get your thoughts on on your experience with um, with the Whoop. So uh, I've I've already laid the groundwork for the listeners in terms of um, the fact that you've been a, a wearer for a while. So maybe just let us let everybody know how you came to start wearing a Whoop, when that was, and some of your general impressions um, over that time. Sure. So I've um, I've just celebrated my first birthday as a Whoop user and uh, bought myself an upgrade to Whoop 4. Um, so I suppose that'll give you some feedback about my perception of, of the value of Whoop. And yeah, I, I started a year ago, Simon, and, and you know, you and I have you know worked together for a while. And one of the things that became more and more obvious to me, in, in, you know, my, not just in my training life, but in my work life, is the impact of recovery and sleep. Mm. And prioritizing that above, you know, maybe some other things. So, um, and I'm also an engineer, I'm a scientist, I'm a data person. So I really enjoy having some 
you know, some data, uh, you know, to use to kind of understand and create some change. So for me, the and all, I love gadgets, by the way. So I'm going to self-proclaim that I am I'm, I'm a person who enjoys technology. So there's probably many people out there screaming uh, about that. But long story short, I, I I felt that I could do some insights into how my body was recovering, with the hope that I would create some new habits to become more conscious about my body, my recovery, and my sleep, particularly. Mm when I'm training hard or I'm traveling a lot. And that, those are the two areas that I felt sometimes in deficit with insights about how I was feeling, Simon. So that's, that's me 12 months on mm. from that, uh, that start. So you're a convert then. You haven't, you haven't been put off because I have spoken to some people say, oh, you know, it's not for me this. And they, they also challenge the data. Have you ever found yourself doing that thinking, well, that's wrong. You know, I got more, I, I'm pretty certain I had more sleep than that last night or my legs feel great. So surely I'm recovered, but it's given me a, it's actually giving me a red recovery score. Yeah, I, I recognize those those kind of internal conflicts uh, for sure. I suppose I've also reconciled myself to say that this is part of the information. It's not the, the full picture. You know, how I feel in myself probably will take primacy over whatever gadget tells me, if I'm really honest. But, but over time, as I've challenged it, uh, I've grown to trust it a bit more particularly around the quality of sleep, you know, uh, for me, uh, it's been something that I've really noticed that we're usually very aligned on quality, maybe slightly misaligned on quantity or how long I've been asleep or, you know, how many times I've woke up, that feeling. But I'm, I'm certainly, the more I, I use it and the more I really put it to the test by, so let's say, having a, a hard day's training the next day, Mm. after it's given me a green when I feel maybe my red or vice versa. It, it tends to correlate with that. So I, I've grown to, to stop, you know, waking up every morning going, I feel like a green and it's given me a red. This is awful. Uh, but I've come to accept it as part of, you know, a trajectory of how I'm feeling and, and part of the overall information. But I, I certainly wouldn't let it, you know, override how I'm feeling. But, but what I have done because of work, Simon, I become, you know, so much more conscious about my body, about how I'm feeling, about how I wake up. And, you know, I, I recognize in myself a lot more about how I'm feeling with regards to recovery. So um, I wouldn't have done that without, without challenging with, in some ways, by having that saying, hey, you know, Jared, today you're an amber. And I'm like, well, hold on. I feel like a green. That just that dialogue with myself and, and actually mm. knowing myself has been really tremendously helpful. When when you first got the whoop, and obviously you've got um, you've got the app on the phone, which gives you a pretty pretty sizable amount of data to be going through each day, doesn't it? Because it gives you your readiness to train which is an amalgam of all of that data, but it gives you information on your sleep. It gives you information on recovery and it gives you information on strain, which is like the load that you're putting on your body through training. And then it sort of uses that algorithm and some artificial intelligence to um, predict what you like. But when you, when you were getting all that information, what, what were the things that you were um, surprised about and what were you learning? I, I'm going to come on to behavioral changes sure, at the sure. end, but in terms of the actual data, you know, did you start to learn things about what it was telling you um, that, that either 
confirmed what you thought you already knew or completely knocked you back and thought, oh, wow, that's that's different? Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things that... So let, let's maybe I'll start off with sleep and then we'll go into strain in a second because mm. I think I have, I, I suppose, different emphasis on both when it comes to the group. But on sleep, I've really noticed the impact of traveling and I, I travel a lot. And, you know, during COVID, I didn't. Um, because of lockdown and people mostly working from home. But I've started to travel again. I just didn't realise how how brutal, you know, crossing time zones are in on your body and your sleep and your recovery. Mm. So, you know, all of those times when I'm trying to train, you know, hard when I've just landed after a 12-hour flight, I can see that now. So I was really, really surprised about that. We, I, 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 I do recall right at the beginning having conversations about this with you. Yeah, and I'm not saying oh you, you should have listened to me then, but I sometimes yeah. think that um, you know in all of these, it's a bit like your mum saying to you, "Don't put your hand on there, Gerard, because it's hot." But you still do it. Sometimes you have to learn these lessons for yourself. Yeah. And when you have when you have some very objective data that's there showing you in black and white, actually, look, you've travelled from Texas to yeah. UK and then on to Dubai. You've gone through you know several hours of time zone change, and your HRV suppressed for several days. You can't escape that fact, can you? And and if you look at the the research data from a number of credible sources, there's a big correlation between the fact that when you try to train with suppressed HRV and you know and in under jet lag, it, it's not going to be as beneficial as when you're fresh. Yeah. It's not nearly as enjoyable either. So I, you know, I, I will come on to behavioural adjustments for that in a minute. But that that was one that, that really allowed me to be a bit more sympathetic to my body. Mm-hmm. myself as, as i as i went through that uh, and also also gave me uh we'll come to behaviors i know that but what i changed the result that the second is the impact of alcohol uh-huh. yeah unbelievable uh i just could not like you know i was quite happily you know a couple of glasses of wine no problem not until you see the impact on my hrv even though you know for, for me you know i've been being a Scottish chap, you know, a couple of glasses of wine is like, uh, you know, a starter, right? You know, when when you're having a couple <laughs> of drinks with your buddies. But notwithstanding that, you know, two glasses of wine would have a huge impact on my HRV. Yeah. So I became a lot more conscious of actually, do I want a glass of wine tonight or not? And the impact mm-hmm. of that. So I again, and stepping into behaviour, but travel, uh, alcohol. And then the final thing for, for me, which was also surprising, was just the busyness of my life during the day, work, running around, water, reflection, stepping, you know, just the whole pace of life also had an impact, I think, on one, my readiness to sleep well, and, and two, it would certainly have an impact on my overall sleep quality. So days that I'm running around crazy, drinking a lot of coffee, Meetings mm. to meetings, that that would also have an impact. Uh, so I've become quite conscious of that as well. Yeah. The, um, have you experimented with um, the alcohol thing at all in terms of um, noticing where the different alcohols have a different impact? Because I've heard other people say, if well, if I drink whiskey, for instance, or spirits, um, particularly the difference between clear spirits and and darker spirits, so you know gin, vodka versus whiskey, rum, that sort of stuff, um, that has a different impact for them. Uh, white wine versus red wine, because white wine has slightly more sugar 
um, the timing of that alcohol. So if you were to have dinner at six o'clock with your wife and you sit down, you have a glass of wine, and then you've got three or four hours before you go to bed, um, probably doesn't have the same impact as if you were to um, go meet a friend in the bar, have a couple of glasses yeah. of wine, then go home and then go to bed. You know, have you, have you experimented or noticed any of yeah, the difference? Yeah? I, I certainly would recognize the latter about timing. Uh, I haven't experimented with the types of uh, drinks, but that sounds like a really worthwhile experiment <laughs> to get involved in. <laughs> Said like a true Scotsman. No, I, I, I haven't, to be honest. So I've, I've kind of gone drink or not. Yeah. Is my kind of only, uh, so, but I haven't. But that sounds like it's, that's a, a decent hypothesis that I've kicked forward. Well, in, interesting to me was, uh, and this was speaking to sleep experts who've done the proper lab studies, is, um, you know, this impact when, when people say, well, whenever I have a drink, I fall asleep straight away. So it doesn't bother me. It's, I mean, I have some friends who um, are like that about coffee. They'll drink a double espresso, leave in a restaurant and then go home and then put the kettle on and have another Nescafe, you know, an instant coffee or something. And I'm, I'm looking at like, you've had three coffees in the 30 minutes before you go into bed. Yeah, but it doesn't bother me. I'll go straight to sleep. But what I've learned from the sleep experts who've, who've looked into this much more deeply is, Although you can fall asleep, it really does impact your ability yeah. to get into a deep sleep. And I think that's yeah. what happens with alcohol is you can get into a, you, you go into what's more like a um, an alcohol induced, like an anesthetic sleep rather than a deep sleep. And so it's not you're not getting the restorative benefits for your body or your brain. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's about you know I, I with traveling. I sometimes would use melatonin. Melatonin is like the, the starter gun going off to to get you to sleep. Mm. But it doesn't keep you asleep, for no. sure. And I think probably alcohol and others would be in the same. They, they may encourage you, the melatonin, to come on to to create the, the need for sleep. Yeah. But I, I would agree, two, three hours later, I'm probably a bit more fidgety if I've half had a drink, for sure. Well, I've tried I tried melatonin a couple of times, you know, as a, a, a sort of almost like a trying to, as an antidote to jet lag. And what I found was I did get to sleep, but then I woke up four hours later yeah. And, and then yeah. I couldn't get back to sleep then. And that, I yeah. found that very frustrating because, it, I mean, it, I find it one of the most frustrating things in the world. That and traffic jams is just lying there, unable to get to sleep and, you know, getting more and more frustrated, which actually compounds the and, problem. You know, to, maybe to the second part of your question about um, what I've learned uh, around strain. I, I suppose strain for me, uh, I'm still maybe more of an advocate of my TSS on I'm training peaks, you know, I do triathlon and that's that's kind of my main go-to place for for TSS. And, and I've found a disconnect sometimes between strain on my whoop. Mm. You know, I've just had a crazy, crazy run or a cycle and my TSS would be high and, and sometimes my whoop wouldn't reflect that. Or I might go for a swim, a normal swim, and my whoop would think of, you know, swam the channel. <laughs> so I, I, I for, for strain other than it's relatively inconsistent, which means it becomes consistent over time, it wouldn't be my point of absolute, hey, how have I done as far as training strain today would be my... So I don't spend... I don't give that as much primacy, Simon. So for me, it's more about recovery and sleep. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same. And I, I've um, got this from other whoop users. Is if, if you really want to measure heart rate and effort level, use a chest strap with a yeah. watch that's designed yeah. to measure your exercising load. Um, Whoop and the Aura and other sleep trackers were designed to track sleep and then the, the exercising data yeah. is sort of secondary, isn't it, as they're trying to catch everything. But I think, you, you know, you probably you probably need two. 
the whoop stuff is just a data point. I mean, I, you know, I, I've had discussions about the accuracy of TSS, um, uh, but but again, it's a guide and, and you can follow yeah. a trend and it's actually useful to refer to, to, you know, to see, for instance, I could look at your training and say, well, last time you were training for an Ironman, you were averaging 900 TSS a yeah. week. And yeah. so, and you were managing that and recovering. So that's the sort of area we want to get you into. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so it would, it would work that way. Um, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll be a hundred percent aligned with that. You know, I would use test strap and a, a sports watch to, to capture that data for sure but you know the sports watch equally is really poor i think it capturing the sleep data which i used to use as well so mm. uh, I, I don't know it's another gadget i've got i've only got i've no more wrists left so i can't do any more i've got one on each have you have you tried um have you tried wearing your sports watch to bed and then comparing the data with the whoop uh i i did i did but i i kind of laughed at myself and gave up or stopped yeah <laughs> because i'm you know, I've talked. I've talked to again. I've talked to HRV experts, and that's another thing that the the whoop does is it measures HRV. And um, uh, interestingly, the, and these are people who do research on on um, HRV. The biggest one of the biggest metrics for them is is somebody's actual feel. You know, how motivated are they to train today? Um, so their their own perception of their recovery rather than the data. Okay. And it is you know HRV is just one data point. Yeah. And if you um, sometimes you can have high HRV because that's a response to a, a block of training, for instance. So you might have been in Dubai for two weeks training, or you yeah. could have been in Lanzarote. Yeah. You get a high HRV, but actually that's that's as a result of something else, and your legs feel shot, and you're struggling to get out of bed yeah. equally. Having a low HRV is not a bad thing, and sometimes it can be misleading because I've noticed if I'm dehydrated, so you're out in Dubai or Lanzarote, yeah. it's warm. You haven't yet adapted to... Um, uh, the environment, so you're dehydrated, and so that's going to show that it looks like you're recovering less. Yeah, yes. um, yes. so and, and I think that's when you really need to spend some like the time. I think the biggest impact for me and is spending some time on myself, trying to understand my body. And I think when you, when you get better at that, these issues become quite clear. Mm. Yeah. So it's been. Uh, this is something that Richard and Lindsay both emphasised was. Being more mindful of things because they were both at pains to make the point that in the past they would just sort of say, right, well, it's 10 o'clock, so it's time for bed as a habit, like brushing your teeth. But they weren't really mindful of what they did in the lead up to going to bed to try and improve that sleep. Or they weren't really mindful of what they did once they got up. It was just like, right, well, these are the habits I have. Then it's time to go to bed. And then now it's time to get up. And these are the habits I have. And sleep was just something that happens while it's dark. And, and actually, they did both make the point that they used to think that sleep was an inconvenience, and if they could get less of it, that was great because they could do more during the day. Yeah, I, I, I certainly would recognise the being more conscious about preparing to go to sleep uh, for, for sure. You know, eating a little bit earlier, you know, maybe choosing more relaxing kind of things rather than you know watching TV or on your phone before mm. that. But I, I'm, I would be the opposite of, of those guys. I, I love sleep, you know. Um, you know, not not to the extent that I, you know, I, I don't get up. But you know, I really enjoy, uh, you know, <laughs> sleeping because it's such a it's such a contrast to the rest of my kind of day. I really enjoy mm. that kind of that space. In the high performing business world that you inhabit, you know, whether it's in your particular industry or in others, do you think that's unusual then for you to be? focusing on sleep because I a lot of the business people I met seem to 
um, perform rather poorly when it comes to sleep, even though they they need to be sharp and mentally alert yeah. to make those big decisions during the day. Do you know what I mean? I, I would say that's certainly that I, I think where the, the centre of gravity would be, although I have to say whether it's a result of COVID or just part of the transition, there's a lot more people I spend time with who are way more conscious of this now than I've ever seen in my whole career. Mm. Um, it, it might be just the fact that, you know, the information about, you know, sleep and its association with performance, both physical and mental, mm. is a bit more acknowledged. Two, it might be the fact that, you know, people during lockdown got some time to reflect about, you know, their work-life balances and, and the importance of that. So but whatever it is, I'm definitely seeing more leaders in business being, you know, really conscious and actually making some good decisions when it comes to late night dinners, um, you know, socialising, and maybe they make some different choices to let's have breakfast rather than have dinner. Mm. So I, I, I would 100% agree with you that used to be the trend. I'm seeing certainly a, a lot of new examples of people being more conscious to say, look, um, you know, I want to be in good shape, so I'm not going to go out tonight or I want to be with my family. Uh, you know, just small adjustments. But, yeah, uh, it's definitely percolating through, I see, because, you know, you cannot continue to go out five nights a week, drink one or two bottles of wine with dinner with your colleagues or clients or whoever, and then get up at seven in the morning and then, and then go, go, go. What? It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not capable of high performance at that point. So, um, yeah. Big change, actually, and uh, and it, it might, I don't know the reason for that, but it could be, like I say, more conscious, or it could be the, the COVID impact and people reflecting on that. I think also, um, you know, you and I are both users of Whoop, but I think you probably see more of your peers in the spheres that you operate with that will be wearing them now, whether you notice it or not. Or, you know, perhaps in the summer you'll see a little wrist strap appearing. Whoop are definitely targeting business people as as much as they are sports people. Um, I I always, I I find it interesting from an outside observer point of view, because in your position, you're like, you're like the key midfielder in a, you know, in, in a, in a big football team or you're like the quarterback. And of course, if you were the key midfielder or the quarterback or the centre forward, you're the guys who are going to make the winning performances. You're going to guys who are going to throw the touchdown pass or score the goal or lay on the lay on the, the assist for the centre forward score. And and so it's important for the team that you are performing at your highest level. Yeah. And that's recognised in sport, but it's only lately being recognised in business, I think. And yeah. I mean it's a it's a it's a positive change. But you know, you can you can read any one of a number of sporting autobiographies and, fi- and find that the uh, the central character in there is a positive advocate of huge amounts of sleep. You know, and Paul, Paula Radcliffe talked about how she would be yeah. sleeping for 12 hours a day. And that's, you know, people go, yeah, well, that's why she's a world record holder. Well, yeah, but did she did she become a world record holder because she slept Which a lot or did she sleep first, a lot when yeah. she became a world record holder? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in, in business is probably, you know, often people who are at the top of their business have a lot of demands from other people in their business and time is their issue and, and prioritization. So it's not an easy thing yeah. to balance. But I, I do like that analogy that, you know, on any given day, it might be tomorrow that, you know, Jane has to be on top of her game or John has to be on top of the game the day after. I think having conversations and allowing that conversation to happen within your environment to say, Jane, go home tonight, take the afternoon off, go for a run. We need you in the top place not not only 
makes Jane feel highly valued as, a, as an individual, but it also will actually get her in a really good place. And I, I'm certainly very conscious of that, Simon. Mm. Very conscious. But I, I openly talk about it. And I do it myself, for sure. So uh, I asked you when you were when we were talking about those lessons that you'd learned about your behavioural change. So you've already alluded to some. Can you yeah. just um, just dig a bit deeper into some of the some of the key ones? Because I, I suspect yeah. we could probably chat for another hour about all the behavioural changes you sure. made. So maybe the ones that have had the biggest impact on your life, and whether that's in relationships at work or in your in yeah. your sports performance. So uh, it would definitely be about getting higher quality sleep. Be uh, probably my has primacy in all of my kind of thoughts and patterns when it comes to recovery and high performance the next day. Uh, to do that, um, well, if I'm at home, it's actually quite easy. I I have a routine. I try to finish work at the same time. I, I eat a bit earlier. I do not drink alcohol uh, unless you know it's a special occasion. Um, when I, when I but you know I'm I'm also. Uh, you know, not that crazy that you know I would never drink. So, but in, in general, I would try to minimise my impact of alcohol, minimise my um, my uh, my level of excitement. Probably two hours before, eat a bit earlier, and looking to get tucked up in bed. Probably at an hour that might seem obscene to people, which is probably just around or before nine. Yeah, great. That's probably when I like to enter the boudoir about that time. That <laughs> might sound crazy to you, but I can't do that every day for sure. But but we we talked to um, with with Lindsay and Richard about this. In you know, Strava's great for people bigging up that interval session or that big long ride they had at the weekend or how many meters they managed to climb on their run or whatever. There needs to be a section where we can all start championing going to bed at nine and having you know getting three hours of deep sleep, doesn't there? Because it's yeah. It is seen as an inconvenience for a lot of people. It's marginalised. I, I, it breaks my heart when I see athletes who want to get better, and yet they're sacrificing sleep to get up earlier to do more training, and that because that's just tilting the the seesaw even further yeah, in the better. direction of yeah. um, not recovering. But they just don't see it, and, and it's um, it's as plain as the nose on their face. Except obviously they're not looking in the mirror. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I w- I've noticed is when I when I have a really good sleep, sleep at the start of my, uh, at, the, at the beginning and at the end of my sleep is the, the highest quality. So, you know, sometimes I'd wake up middle of the night, maybe five. Sometimes my brain would be already active. If I give myself a little bit of time, the next two hours from five to seven tends out to be a high, high quality sleep, actually. So giving my, my, myself some space to, to, to nod off again is it was quite a a big revelation for me which came from my data i was like whoa the quality is really high at the end so you know not not you know usually when i wake up and my mind's working i would probably go geez time to get up right so that the, the, those would be my kind of sleeping habits uh minimizing alcohol celebrating and allowing myself to go to bed earlier and, and recognizing maybe the tail end of the sleep has quite a lot of quality in there as well um, but that, that's in the perfect world. When I'm traveling, it, well, I was gonna, really, yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. What, what, what have you noticed about yeah. the book that you've used in your traveling? Um, um, that, that, that's behaviors. harder, but it, I suppose it's, it's a lot harder because you know my, my time zone. I'm, I have a conflict between my responsibility to whatever I'm traveling for, usually work, and how my body's feeling. 
It gets better over time, but usually it's a week or 10 days I'm traveling for. So there's a conflict there. But what, what I've allowed my, my work to do and, and is to allow me to, I suppose, to be braver and be more conscious to say to my colleagues, look, for the first three days, uh, I could really do having a morning meeting rather than an evening dinner if you really work with me on that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I use it to, to, to try and set a pattern that, that will maximize my recovery but recognizing it's not perfect. So it, it gives me more courage, Simon, to, to have that conversation and allow myself to be tired and miss that dinner and say, hey, is there any chance you could let's split the difference and let's meet it? <laughs> if I'm on UK time, can we meet at like 5 more, five a.m. for breakfast? <laughs> that's a bit extreme, but that, that, that's, how, that's how I managed to do that. And the final part, it would allow me to go slow, to adjust before I go hard on my training. Yeah, uh, when I'm traveling. Yeah, I know, and and that's I've noticed that's a big change because yeah, and, and I don't think you're alone in this. That a lot of people think, well, if I get off a plane and I've got the rest of the afternoon, you know, and I've gone through several hours of time zone change, I, I've got opportunity to go out for a long run here. And yet, of course, you can go out for a long run when there's actually going to be any benefit for it. You know, yeah. it's like it's like working all afternoon and not getting paid nobody would do, nobody would voluntarily do that but we voluntarily yeah. we voluntarily go out and do some training and, and i think one of my suggestions early on was you know maybe just go for a walk take your feet off the, there's this yeah. thing called grounding isn't there where you walk yeah. barefoot on the grass and just let your body and you know um the the whole electromagnetic field thing is a, a completely different conversation but i think there's definitely something about that yeah 100 percent. well it depends where you're going east or west what you can do practically when you fly from the uk but mm. Uh, you know, that grounding thing me and you've talked about before, uh, it's a real treat to go for a walk or a two or three K walk run, something around the city, orientate, get yourself. In. And that's enough, 100%. I used to be in the camp of, oh, I've got three hours, let's go smash out, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a, a couple of hours running. But it, it is really bad, it's really bad the next day. And it really sets you off. But the grounding concept is nice and, you know, um, I'm a big advocate of that now. So that, that, that's probably my my major thing. I haven't really, like I say, adjusted anything in strain uh, associated with whoop. So um, it's probably around sleep and recovery. One of one of my big things now, you know, is, is as you know, is um, thinking of it long term. Yeah, I know businesses do it. Um, a lot of athletes don't do it. They think about today's race or, or the one next week. And I'm, particularly as I've got older, started thinking, well, it, what, what am I going to have to do with my life? in order to continue riding and swimming and running with my friends and skiing when I'm in my sixties, you know, and a bit like a pension. If you want to have a good pension that you can fund your life, continue to fund your lifestyle when you're in your late fifties or sixties, you've got to prepare a lot, a, a long time in advance. And I think it's the same with the physical pension. You've got to start thinking about it now. You're a few years behind me, but still, have you noticed that some of your thoughts now around sleep and recovery are about, well, if I, if I'm really good on this, this means I might be able to continue doing that for a lot longer. Yeah, I, I think certainly, I, again, it's part of being gentle and kind to yourself and giving yourself permission to, to kind of celebrate the sleep and recovery. One thing, you know, I've been working with you, Simon, for a few years now, and I've been training like at this level as a, you know, amateur triathlete alongside my work for five years now. One thing I have noticed is nothing changes quickly overnight when it comes to performance. If I'm really on it, it takes a long time. But also, neither does performance dissipate quickly overnight either. Mm. And, you know, that's something I've really learned to be a bit more patient both in the way up. But also, you know, 
if you miss that run because you're traveling and you need a bit more sleep, it's no disaster and you probably enjoy it when you get back to it. Mm. So that, that's one thing is that's allowed me to, to think more kind of medium to long term. Generally, when it comes to performance, and we talk about this in business as well. I, I speak to many of my clients and we talk about the business in two ways, which is quite, quite relevant for this. We talk about it in terms of performance and we talk about it in terms of health. The forums is often about how did we do last quarter? How's the sales? How's the results? How's the, the EBIT? How's the financial metrics? How many sales of the units have you done, et cetera, et cetera? How many brand likes? Whatever it is, it tends to be retrospective or in the moment. Health is about, okay, tell me about your five next successive leaders. What's your succession plan like? What's your future looking for five years out? And you need to lay both of those things. And a conversation is all about performance. It's very short term. And I've seen many businesses go only one direction when you're looking at that as the only metric. The, the amazing businesses really have equal uh, weighting and conversations around the health indicators, succession planning, brand, innovation, IP, new products, new markets. Those things that take a long time to come to fruition, but will be the future. I kind of see the same in my own body. You know, I, I have performance, which is, you know, I've got my 17 hours a week. I'm training for, for Nice, right? I've got to work on that. But also I know if I don't get enough sleep, enough recovery, in two, three months from now, you know, I might not get to the start line. So I've got to balance this. And, you know, and I also want to continue to enjoy doing this for, for many years. So I've become a lot more patient with myself based on the fact that things don't really change quickly in this world and you can give yourself a break uh, and you don't have to freak out. And, and we always have, to have this. We always feel guilty when we could do more. I've stopped that. It, it does definitely sound like you've made some huge behavioural changes as a result of wearing the whoop. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should say to listeners, there are other products out there that do a similar job. Sure, um, yeah. And I think which the, the Aura Ring um, is the nearest competitor, I would say, and which you choose to wear probably depends on whether you want to wear a ring on your finger. I know some people can't wear that at work or whether you, whether you want something on your wrist. Um, there's definitely the Whoop 4 is a lot less obtrusive than the previous ones, and um, that's been a positive advantage, and there's, there's all sorts of different innovations. So I get a sense, I know what your answer is going to be here, Gerard, but um, um, if somebody noticed that you were wearing one and was asking you about it and, and whether they should get one, what, what, would you be, what would you be saying to them, and maybe what, what sort of caveats would you put in there? Yeah, so I would start off by saying, yeah, I'm wearing this ring for a year. The, the reason why I wore it is I wanted some more insights into you know, how my body was feeling when I wasn't conscious, i.e. asleep, how it was performing during that. And, you know, I really enjoy seeing data and patterns and what they become better. You know, I wasn't being conscious enough about the quality of my sleep and the impact on recovery. Therefore, I wanted some insights. Now that I've been 12 months into that, I now do these kind of things differently and it's, it's really improved my, my you know, my um, concentration, my, as a result, my performance. But also, I just feel healthier and happier about um, you know how my life, as it were. So for me, I would certainly encourage people. But I would also say, you know, I don't get stressed if I forget it or it goes flat. You know, the 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 connection that I have with the data now, I can, it's like when you're running. You know, when you run, Simon, and you run so much, you probably know what a five and a half minute kilometer pace feels like, right? 
I can't remember that far back now. But but you know, you get my point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, you, with plus or minus 5%, you'll know where you are yeah. about anything. You'll know what your heart rate's feeling like probably without anything. Uh-huh. That, that's where I've got to look. Like, it's very rare that me and Whooper, one's red and one's green, if I'm honest. So I, I also don't, you know, kick myself off, you know, I forget it, but it's just, I still am very conscious. So for me, I'm an advocate uh, as an input into, you know, individuals being more conscious about how preparation for sleep and the impact of sleep on performance. Uh, and if you can, if this gives you some, some insights into that, I think you'd really benefit from it. So, and I've got a loop three point zero going uh, to anyone who wants to uh, to use it, right? So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a good offer that Whoop have, isn't it? Is um, yeah. that you can uh, pass it on. You, you can pass it on to somebody else, and they'll get a free trial month. I've done that with mine. I know David and Lindsay have both done that um, with theirs as well, and the, the people have bought them. And for me, you know, it's thirty dollars a month um, to subscribe to Whoop. That's three hundred and sixty dollars a year, but um, thinking of all the positive changes that have come about for you in the 12 months, that sounds like quite a small investment, really, in terms yeah. of the, the payoff. Yeah, I don't think you, you know, I think it's very difficult to put a price on what good health is really worth until you don't have it. Um, but but $360 a year doesn't seem a great deal of investment when, you know, if if you were buying a bottle of wine a week, you'd probably be spending that much money. Yeah, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be helping my sleep, Simon. Unless it it's a uh, whiskey, it sounds like a bottle of whiskey might help though. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. Back to your uh, your original yeah. research hypothesis. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan, but it's 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 not the be on end all for me. It's it's part of a, an overall you know awareness and consciousness about the impact. So for me, twelve months on, I am way more in connection with how my body's feeling. Uh, and its impact of sleep and recovery in there was so much ago. Great. Well, I should just point out, uh, listeners, that Gerard is not a, an ambassador for Whoop, nor is he have any skin in the game, but he's yeah. definitely benefited from that. So, Gerard, thanks for sharing those lessons and learnings and um, your behavioural change with us. I really appreciate that. And hopefully, listeners, you've uh, you've got enough now to make a, an informed decision about whether this is a good investment. I, I've, if um, from the three guests I've had, I, I don't think you'll be making a mistake if you go down that path. Gerard, thank you once again. Been a pleasure. Well, you too, Simon. All the best. Take care. Bye bye now. Thank you to Lindsay, Gerard, and Richard for being on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. If you're passionate about extending your athletic career into your 60s and 70s, like I am, you won't want to miss any episode in the future. Please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and subscribe. Right, that's all for now. Hope you have a great week and I'll see you with another great guest on the next episode.